Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet, nobody picks him up. Season's greetings, and welcome to Wondergo, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff, and joining me, as always, are my action colleagues, Anthony DeBundo and BJ Cunningham. And the three of us are psyched out of our chair to handicap 10, hopefully, hopefully 10 Premier League matches coming your way on Boxing Day. That's Sunday, December 26th. There's nine on Sunday, then one on Monday. And it just will feel really good if, if we could just get all 10 of these matches across the line, honestly. Yeah, winning some bets will be fun along the way. Boxing Day is a date that all soccer fans circle on their calendar. But most of all, for Christmas and for Boxing Day, it would be a Christmas miracle if we can just get 10 scheduled Premier League games across the finish line. And gentlemen, uh, we'll start with the 7.30 a.m. kickoff with Liverpool. They're minus 650. Hosting Leeds United, they're 14 to 1. The draw is 8 to 1. Uh, Liverpool, like a lot of other teams, have been dented. Their ranks have been dented considerably by COVID. Leeds also have had injury issues and COVID issues. So like with all these matches, we do ask you to take our analysis with a grain of salt as things can change between now when we're recording this on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Uh, But this game does seem pretty straightforward, BJ, right? Like we got Liverpool, offensive force, Leeds, defensive calamity. 9.75 9.75 expected goals and 14 goals against in their last three games, Leeds United. Uh, so is there any other way to play this match than basically squaring out, as Anthony liked to say, be Barney at the bar and backing Liverpool on the alt line? It's going to be really hard not to, Michael. Uh, I mean, given how thin Leeds is right now, this can get out of hand very, very quickly. At the time of taping, this Leeds could potentially be without Patrick Bamford, Calvin Phillips, Liam Cooper, Diego Llorente, Daniel James, and Rodrigo. So going up against the Liverpool offense that absolutely pasted them 
in the first meeting. They beat him 3-0 and put up 4.5 expected goals. This is about as bad as a situation as it can get for Marcelo Bielsa. And I, I really hope he survives, you know, over the next few weeks, given all Leeds injury issues. But it could be his swan song. We could see him uh, say goodbye, which would be very sad. But, you know, Liverpool, I, I'm not sure if they're going to get Van Dyke, Curtis Jones, Thiago, and Fabinho back from COVID. I guess it technically is their 10th day on Sunday. So be on the lookout for that. You know, if they are in the in the game, it's going to be really, really hard not to square out and just take Liverpool. But I will throw some caution because if those guys are out, Liverpool's defense looked really shaky against Tottenham, giving up 3.4 expected goals, which is the most that anybody's created on Liverpool this season. And actually, nobody's created over two expected goals on Liverpool. So it was actually quite a shocking defensive performance. But with that being said, Leeds really, really struggles against teams that press them high and press them at a very, very high rate. Liverpool is going to do that. So we could see a potentially another 7-0 like we saw them against Manchester City. Also, with the Africa Cup of Nations coming up, Liverpool is going to want to get as many goals in as they can from Salah and Mane since they're going to be out without them for about a month. So I'm kind of looking at the over here. I have 3.9 goals projected uh, for this game. So if over four goals can get to plus 115 or plus 120, I'll probably end up playing that. But other than that, it's a stay away from me. So Bundesliga total right there. I would say Leeds United, probably the bravest bet on the board one could make this week, Anthony. And look at you. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I'm not saying that I like them, but at a certain point, catching two and a half against anybody, I'd be tempted to play Leeds here. I understand that the injury crisis is real. I mean, they're borderline unbettable at this point. But it does look like Van Dyke, Tiago, and Fabinho are all going to be out. And Robertson is suspended for this. So you're looking at a pretty makeshift midfield and a pretty makeshift back line that includes some backups. Now, Liverpool played a very heavily rotated team in the Cup Carabao Cup match against Leicester on Wednesday. So I'm not playing anything right now. I'm waiting until Sunday for this one. We're going to figure out the status of BVD, Tiago, and Fabinho. And if they're all out and still not cleared of protocols, then I'll be, I'll be probably firing on some plus two and a half. I understand that the bottom seems to be falling out for leads here, but uh, Liverpool just doesn't have the solidity or the ability to overwhelm teams without some of their best defenders and midfielders. So I think they can keep this somewhat competitive, but I mean, in terms of the matchup, it's, it's really bad for, for leads and, and Liverpool was minus 135 on the road. Now they're minus 670 at home in this fixture. So Obviously, there's a whole lot more going on here than just home and away. And, and uh, you know, the teams have trended in opposite directions since that game, which was back in, in, uh, in October. But have they really changed that much? I'm not so sure. So I, I lean towards Leeds at two and a half. But again, I have to wait and see what the status of, of some of these defenders is going to be. There is another uh, 7.30 a.m. kickoff on Boxing Day, and that is Wolverhampton. Their odds on minus 110, minus 115, depending on where you look. Hosting Watford, plus 340 on the money line. The draw is plus 260. Uh, Watford, four losses in a row. And <laughs> just like Leeds, they are incredibly leaky on defense right now. Uh, under Claudio Ranieri, that's nine games since he's been in charge. 19.5 expected goals allowed. That's about 2.17 on average. This Wolves team, their offense started pretty decently. There's a lot of talent in its ranks. Uh, Then it seemed like there were some process issues, creating consistent chances, finishing 
those chances when they did create them. Uh, but this is the type of defense where it's a get right spot, I think, for Wolves and this offense. They still are sixth in big scoring chances created, but oddly enough, 17th in non-penalty expected goals created per 90. But I do think that the matchup is right, right? Like this is a, a strong defense for Wolverhampton that can handle Watford's surprisingly potent. When I say that, I mean relative to Watford's expectations offense so i think the defense can handle the offense and this you know toothless of late uh offense for wolves should be able to find a way past a, a defense that is just bleeding scoring chances so i think wolves at, at minus 110 minus 115 that's a fine price i would maybe go up to minus 120 on the team from the black country bruno lage's men uh so i'm gonna take wolves here i got him in at one minus 115 anthony i think you're coming with me yeah, I am. And, and this is just the classic buy low here. I mean, look, Wolves have been awful in attack. They've created about four expected goals in their last eight matches, uh, 4.4. They've only scored twice in those eight matches. But you have to go back and look at who they've played. Uh, only two of those games were consi- against teams who would be considered below average defenses. Uh, they had a 1-0 win against West Ham, two scoreless draws with Norwich and Burnley that were the first troubling signs of, of kind of regression for Wolves and them not, you know, attacking nearly as well. But then they played Liverpool, City, Brighton, and Chelsea, who I think are, are four of the top six or seven defenses in the league. Uh, and so, yeah, they didn't create a ton in those games, but those were situations where they were not in a situation, you know, against Liverpool. They they were tied trying to defend that point away from home for the entire match till the 94th minute against City. They were, again, trying to play for the point and then got a red card, didn't really have a chance to attack. And against Chelsea, again, got a good point against the top three teams. So in game state, didn't really have them in a situation where they needed to go out and try to create a ton of chances and play expansive. I think we're going to get a good get right spot here for for Wolves against Watford, who will be without a Shmila Sar, who's one of their best attackers. He's going to be out for a few more weeks, it looks like. Uh, and 16 days without games for Watford. Now, I'm not really sure how to handle this coming off the COVID pause. Watford didn't actually have a ton of COVID issues, but not playing a game for 16 days can have an impact on kind of uh, match fitness for a team. So I'm wondering if maybe Watford's a little bit off the pace here. And so I agree with with Michael. I have a little bit of value on on Wolves. I have the minus 130. uh, So I like them at minus 110, 115. Uh, Both of those are out there pretty widely available. So that's where I, I played this one. Yeah, it is interesting. There are a bunch of teams, and we'll we'll get to them later in the show, who've had long, long layoffs. Uh, and, and I think some of them just are like, yeah, the talent will win out, but this Watford team, uh, I don't think so. BJ, what do you see for this one? Aside, a total, anywhere you're going. Yeah, I'm kind of looking at both teams to score no. Uh, if it gets to anything plus money, I, I'm just really tired of trying to bet on when the Wolves offense is going to wake up. I mean, this is obviously like, you know, Anthony and you, and Michael, have mentioned, this is probably as good an opportunity as they've had uh, in a long time. But at the same time, you know, three expected goals in their last six matches. They've only scored eight goals this season from open play, which is second worst in the Premier League behind only Norwich. Those are really, really concerning numbers. I understand they have the talent. But I'm just really tired of, of trying to figure out when they're going to wake up. So, you know, this is one of those situations that I don't really see how Watford is going to get on the board without Sar. You know, when these two teams met back in September, Wolves completely dominated Watford, you know, one, two, nothing, one unexpected goals, 2.1 to 0.2. Watford only had six shots. So I think we could see potentially another dominance performance like that. Again, I do need plus money for the both teams to score no bet, but I'm just really tired of <laughs> trying to figure out when Wolves is going to wake up offensively. So it's kind of a wait and see for uh, me on them before I start to bet them on the money line. That's eight straight unders for Wolves. 
three goalless draws, one, four, one nil games and one, two nil defeat. So that's yeah, eight just, unders in a row. I think I've had overs in like three of those games. So yeah, I just looked and uh zero, zero draws 10 to one. So I might, <laughs> might have to dabble in that uh, for this match. Happy boxing day. Yep. You guys might not remember this, but someone, uh, when we had a preseason I remember. preview, someone famously on this podcast said that Wolves would be a good over team uh, for the season because last year they were an under team. And I thought the talent, the offensive talent would spark some some goal scoring. And uh, I was wrong. And, Early in the year, they should have been an over team. Yeah. I mean, a lot of their games had a ton of chances. They just weren't taking them. And now they're just not doing anything. So maybe uh, Bruno got tired of XG underperformance and then changed up the tactics a little bit. Yeah. But uh, Wolves don't seem to be taking as many chances, don't seem to be doing quite as much, but it also could just be the schedule. I mean, they are playing better defenses now and, and they were playing bad defenses early in the year, but now they get the worst defense in the league. Yeah. There was a time when uh, Wolves were the new Brighton, a team that doesn't really have trouble scoring, nor do they have trouble preventing their opponents from scoring. That's Manchester city minus 500 taking on Leicester 12 to one on the money line. The draw is seven to one Manchester city minus two and a half. It's plus 145. That means bookmakers are implying a 40.8% implied probability that City wins this game by three goals. Okay, this is a good team they're playing. Like, that's the crazy part. Like, they're not, this isn't them taking on Newcastle or Watford. This is Leicester City. And that number, I think, is a little absurd. However, it's tough to get behind this Leicester team in this matchup. They are too leaky on defense, 13 in preventing non-penalty expected goals, seventh in big chances, so a little bit better there, but still a squarely mid-table defense against a city offense that's firing on all cylinders. And we all have talked ad nauseum about the city defense and their ability to just snuff out opponents. And Leicester is a good offensive team. So tough matchup here. For the Foxes, I'm staying away. BJ, you do have a BTTS to talk about though yeah i'm gonna go both teams to score no again with city i mean their defensive numbers they're playing exactly like they were around this time or it was around january i guess last year when they started to really put the clamps down defensively but since the 2-0 loss at home to crystal palace they have allowed 3.5 expected goals in eight matches and since that loss they've outscored their opponents 24 to 3 so they're just playing like the best team in the world right now they're starting to take kind of a stranglehold on the premier league title race with liverpool kind of slipping up with some of their injuries this is another situation I understand Leicester has a lot of attacking talent. They're relatively healthy with that attacking talent, but I just don't see a situation where they're going to be able to create anything of high quality against Manchester City, who is now becoming a, you know, the possession dominant side that we saw last year. And, you know, since that loss to the Crystal Palace, they've held over 64% possession in every single Premier League match. So they're going to be able to hold the ball. They're going to prevent Leicester from really creating any chances because City's only allowing their opponents to create only 6.4 shots per 90 minutes, which is the best mark in the world among, you know, Europe's top five leagues. You know, Leicester does have good offensive numbers, 1.47 non-penalty expected goals per match, but against Chelsea, Wolves, West Ham, Brentford, and their first match against Manchester City, which are all top seven defenses by non-penalty expected goals. They only created 4.3 expected goals in those five matches. So I have the both teams score no line projected at minus 190. So I love the value at minus 130. City's uh, minus 300 now to win the title. Liverpool 3-1. to Chelsea 11-1. Manchester City has a three-point lead over Liverpool after they dropped points to Anthony Spurs, who we will now talk about. They're minus 130 uh, home favorites taking on Crystal Palace, who are plus 380 on the money line. The draw is plus 280. A 10 a.m. kickoff on Boxing Day. Anthony, I'm just going to let you start here as the Tottenham tragic on the show. I think you're going to be on one side of this match and BJ and I will be on the other. So let's go. 
Yeah, you know, if you're a narrative guy, uh, Sunday was just a perfect game uh, because Harry Kane had his best game in terms of shot creation and shot assisting uh, that he's had all season. He had 1.9 expected goals against Liverpool. He only scored one of them, though. He missed two sitters. So if you were a take-haver on the Twitter timelines, maybe you could say he's washed. And look, he can't finish anymore. But as someone who watches Tottenham week in and week out, him, Deli Alley, and, and him and Son together uh, makes this team so much better if Ali is, is, is in good form because he adds another third shot getter to this team. He's a guy who can get assists, who can get goals. He had 1.2 expected goals and expected assists combined on Sunday. A lot of pressures, three successful dribbles. He does a lot of defensive work for a forward of his type. He's kind of a weird hybrid kind of player. And since Conte took over in North London, only three teams have a better expected goal difference per 90. Spurs are about plus one per 90. Only the big three have been better. And in terms of creating chances, only City and Liverpool have created more chances since Conte took over in North London. So the the clear signs of everybody playing better, even players I don't like, Eric Dyer, Harry Winks, players I've noted, you know, noticeably been against in my you know last few years of Tottenham fandom, uh, they've really improved quite a bit. Uh, Harry, uh, Harry Winks, four progressive passing in the penalty area against Liverpool, second highest mark of his career. So there's a lot of really positive signs for Spurs, but the line's clearly reflecting that. So I, I lean towards Tottenham here. I need a better number than minus 130 to play it. If it gets below minus 120, then I'd fire on Spurs. I may look at, to get in live, but right now I'm, I'm going to end up passing. Palace is a pretty good side. They thrashed Spurs the first time. I might as well be a different team. Spurs were coming off an international break. They had a bunch of players out. They were on the road. And that was the Nuno era. No team has run more than Tottenham in the last month and a half, too, since Conte took over. So there's just a ton of really positive signs for Spurs. But again, we play numbers here, and, and the number's not good enough yet for me to get in. So I'm probably going to end up playing this one live. I do think Spurs win this at home. Yeah, you're kind of making my argument for me here. I think the number's a little too high on a team that... Yeah, they, they did look good against a Liverpool team that was missing a lot of important pieces, uh, especially in the midfield and uh, in their spine. But this Palace team, second in big chances allowed, third in non-penalty expected goals allowed. Their only weakness is uh, defending against crosses. Spurs isn't a type of team to exploit that. And I think it's a good sell-high spot on a team that has played one Premier League match since December 5th. And maybe the signs are there, but we truly don't know just how good the Spurs team is. And, and this just, it seems like a classic uh, sell high spot and you're getting a good team at a, at a good number to go against an inflated team, I think. BJ, what do you see for this one? Yeah, I like Crystal Palace plus half a goal, but it's got to be plus 115 or better. I understand that under Conte, Tottenham has created, you know, the fourth most chances in the Premier League, but they actually haven't played that much murder's road in terms of the schedule. Injury riddled Everton squad, Brentford, Norwich, Leeds, and then Liverpool without Van Dijk, Fabinho, Thiago and a bunch of other guys. So going up against Crystal Palace defense, that's third in non-penalty expected goals. Who's going to get one of their best center backs, Jockey Manderson, back from injury this week, playing alongside Mark G. When those two play together, Crystal Palace is only allowing 1.03 expected goals per match. So very good, well-organized defensive side that does press at a pretty high rate, usually in their own, you know, final third in the middle of the pitch. What was concerning, you know, obviously, you know, there's not much concern when Tottenham creates, you know, 3.4 expected goals against Liverpool, but Liverpool did have a 46% successful pressure rate and Crystal Palace presses at the second highest rate in the Premier League. So 
they could be able to win the ball against Tottenham in the middle field and, and you know try to hit him on the counter because they do have some lethal attacking players now that can exploit them. I understand Tottenham, you know, was not playing for quite a while, but you know, this is their third match in seven days. So we'll see how how the legs are. We'll see, you know, I understand they're running more, but we'll see how if they their legs are still good for the third match in seven days. So again, I need, you know, I like Chris Palace plus half a goal, but I do need plus one fifteen or better to bet it because I have Tottenham projected at even money for this one. So give me the Eagles plus half a goal at plus one fifteen. We'll stay in London where West Ham will host Southampton. The Hammers, minus 110. Home favorites, uh, Southampton plus 340. The draw plus 280. Another 10 a.m. kickoff on Sunday morning. I like to over here. I think this game sets up pretty well for there to be a crooked number on the scoreboard. West Ham offense, fourth in big chances. Created Southampton, 18th in preventing them. And West Ham, which was... They were going pretty well under David Moyes. Third of the season, they win against Liverpool. And in the six matches since then, when everyone, including myself, was crowning them as a potential gate crasher in the Premier League, they've gotten one win, two draws, three losses, and have allowed 10.03 expected goals against. A lot of that has to do with Agbana going out. Uh, So I think that you're looking at a... Big picture, leaky defense, and then uh, another defense that is trending in that direction right now. So I like over three. You're getting plus money on it, plus 125 right now. As long as there's a plus sign in front of it, I think it's a good bet because I could see this one being 3-1, 3-2, et cetera. Anthony, what do you have for this one? Yeah, I like the Saints. Plus a half, minus 110 out there right now. I'm just not really buying this West Ham team anymore. And I understand they played really well at the beginning of the season. We've talked about this. They were playing much better. They were possessing the ball, pressing well, playing like a team that looked like a a genuine top four contender. Uh, But they've looked less and less like that the last 600 or so minutes. Last 606 minutes, which is about seven matches, they played at even strength, 11-11. They have created about 0.9 XG per 90, and they've allowed 1.8. Five five, uh, and then in terms of actually allowing goals, they've only allowed about one point three per ninety. So they've been a bit fortunate defensively lately. Over the course of the season, twenty eight goals for West Ham, pretty impressive mark, but only twenty two expected. So they've been running a little bit ahead of that. Mikel Antonio seems like he's hit a bit of a rough patch of form. He's not quite getting the numbers in terms of shots per ninety that he was getting earlier in the season. Part of this comes down to schedule. They they had a few tough matches in there, but really they've been winning the tough matches. It's been the games against Burnley, uh, you know, where they had a nil-nil draw that was very unimpressive uh, that, that really has kind of held this team back a little bit. And then, you know, they, they played in the League Cup today, 58% of the ball against Spurs, but never really looked threatening in the second half to try to find the equalizer. There was a few chances, but it seemed to me that they really struggled. And you can even compare it to when they played Tottenham earlier this year. Uh, and I thought they were the better side from the large portions of it where they were able to control the game. They had way less control of the game this time around. So I think it's a pretty uh, damning indictment of, of what's happened to this team. Got absolutely thrashed by Arsenal. Couldn't create much against Burnley. So I'm I'm starting to have some concerns and I think they're a little inflated here. Over the last 600 minutes, like I mentioned, West Ham, in terms of XG difference, sixth worst. When we look at Southampton, about 10th best. So they're about average. Well, that's about you know what Southampton is. They've had some bad luck defensively. 1.4 expected goals allowed per 90. They've actually conceded closer to two. So there's some defensive boost coming for Southampton. Most importantly, it looks like Fraser Foster might be back here, uh, which means no more Willie. Caballero and net, which is pretty important for uh, the Saints because of how bad Caballero is at claiming crosses and whatnot. So Southampton has some regression coming, and I think this is a good spot for them, even on the road. And I think uh, when we get later on, I'm going to have maybe a little money line sprinkle coming on them as well. Now to the game of the weekend. Burnley, plus 140. 
hosting the mighty Everton Toffees plus 220 on the money line. The draw is plus 220. Another 10 a.m. kickoff for your Boxing Day feast. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a funny one. Uh, I'm in the weeds with Everton, obviously, as a fan. So I know who Lewis Dobbin or Jared Branthwaite are and Ellis Sims. but if you looked at that Everton line, I didn't know they were. Yeah, nope, not a lot of <laughs> when they played did. Chelsea. I was, was like, who are these of, people? There were a lot of tweets from soccer writers that I follow oh, uh, asking if the Everton kit man spelled Brathwaite weight wrong because there's an N for Jared Branthwaite. He ends up scoring in a in a heroic one draw. Grab. Yeah, in a heroic one one draw where they uh, lost the XG battle by over two goals. And uh, yeah, I mean that's all you can say about Everton right now, right? They're extremely thin. And they're getting results by basically whether or not they decide to throw everything they have in front of the ball on defense or they don't. Against Chelsea, they got very lucky to get a point. I think they would be pretty lucky to get a point out of this one in Burnley at Turf Moor. But there are some concerns with the Clarets right now. Um, First of all, they've played the fewest games in the Premier League. They've played one game since December 4th, I believe. And they have no goals and 1.35 total expected goals in their last three matches. However, I think this is a good matchup for them. Everton have been terrible defending set pieces this season, have allowed 5.3 total expected goals in their last two matches. So this Burnley offense, like this is not an offense that will strike fear in you, but this is as good of a get-right spot as this offense will see. We saw in the reverse fixture of this one that Burnley was a little unlucky to lose to Everton in what was one of the strangest matches of the season where Everton had eight great minutes and scored three goals in those eight minutes. I like Burnley. I think plus 140 at home in two teams that they're rightful to be favorites here against this team that Rafa Benitez is going to have to be forced to throw out there. Uh, so I don't think there's any way you can look at Everton at this price if it shot up immensely maybe you can get uh people interested but not right here so plus 140 on burnley i think is a fine number against the everton defense that is struggling to uh prevent scoring chances right now bj uh what do you see for this one i think the only there's no in between in this one it's either gonna be a just a zero zero snoozer or like a six goal thriller i don't think we have really any in between with these two teams dominic calvert lewin has been upgraded to questionable for this one so that's positive news for everton but the rest of their attackers are out. <laughs> Damari Gray, Richarlison, Andros Townsend, Solomon Rondon are all out for this match. So if all those guys are out and Dominique Calvert-Lewin is not fit enough to play, I just don't really see how Everton's going to get on the board here. And I understand Burnley's defense has been pretty horrendous. You know, 1.48 expected goals per match, which is pretty bad when you play a pretty defensive 4-4-2. But, you know, Everton defensively as well, still without Yuri Mina, which is very important for them because they have no center back depth whatsoever. So that means it's going to be Mason Holgate or Ben Godfrey slotting in there uh, beside Michael Keane. When Yuri Mina is out, Everton's allowing 1.65 expected goals per match. When he's in the lineup, they only allow 1.12. So he's kind of important (laughs) for their defensive structure. Uh, Burnley will also likely be getting Maxwell Cornet back. He's huge for their offense, providing a lot of pace and technical ability going forward. You already mentioned it, Michael. Everton's one of the worst teams in the Premier League at defending crosses, defending corners. They're second to last in the Premier League in aerial duels, one percentage, while Burnley's fourth in the Premier League in winning aerial duels. If Dominic Calvert-Lewin's out, I don't see how Everton's going to score. So 
You can get Burnley to win uh, in a shutout or Burnley to win nil at plus 270 right now. So that's where I'm going for this one. I think that's a great price going up, you know, with, with Everton having nobody offensively or, you know, some creative player names up there. So Burnley to win nil plus 270 is where I'm going. Yeah, only Nor uh, excuse me, only Newcastle has a worse expected goal difference in the last month and a half than Everton. Burnley has the third worst. So we're dealing with the bad of the bad. Burnley's been quite lucky defensively the last month or so. Uh, 1.6 expected goals allowed per 90 in that stretch, only allowing about a goal per 90. So maybe Everton can uh, expose that, but I really don't want to do that with that talent that's going to be rolling out there for Everton. Even if Calvert-Lewin does play, you know, he's very good in the air winning crosses, but who's sending in the crosses? Who's beating the man up the wing? So How long is he going to play? He's not, there's no way. He's exactly. Playing. He's not yeah. going to be fully fit. I actually do think he, he will feature in this game in some, some sort. It's, it's trending that way. Uh, Rafa said he was close a week and a half ago. So maybe we can, uh, or a week ago, but it'll be a week and a half once this game's played. Uh, so maybe we see him, but uh, one man does not make an attack. Uh, so no matter how I'm, handsome I'm passing he is, here, no matter how handsome he is, because he's, yeah, he's quite uh, good looking. Everton, since that, you know, eight minute spurt when they beat Burnley on November, or sorry, September 13th, they have two wins since that point a 2-0 win against Norwich and a 2-1 heroic win over my gunners so should have been good right now yeah you don't have to tell me uh about that yeah Burnley I think the number's good and uh Sean Dyche these, these spots too like he does find a way to get his team he targets games that he knows he needs three points I would consider this one to be an immense game for them because this is a very very winnable game against a depleted squad one that when this fixture list comes out to start the season, you don't quite think that, but with the way that things have broken, Cornet coming back, Everton being depleted, it certainly is a terrific spot, I think, for Burnley uh, at a great number. And a team that I think is usually a little undervalued because people don't like betting on them and, well, they're not quite good. So uh, we'll move from Turf more to the Midlands to talk about Aston Villa, plus 475 at home, hosting Chelsea. Uh, in the middle of a rough patch right now, Chelsea's minus 145 on the money line. The draw is plus 265, 12.30 p.m. kickoff on Boxing Day. Steven Gerrard, 6.25 expected goals for, 6.76 expected goals against uh, in his six games, which is an improvement over what they were looking at under Dean Smith at that's Aston Villa. And look, like this is a team that is going to defend like hell in the box for Gerrard and hopefully hit Chelsea on the counter with Ali Watkins. They've had some uh, success doing that so far under their new manager and who's going to be playing for Chelsea. We're not totally sure either. They really had a rough go of it with uh, COVID and injury issues. Thomas Tuchel wanted to uh, have their games postponed. They didn't. It's a legitimate wobble from Chelsea. They are starting to fall back uh, a little bit from the title race. They're now six points behind Manchester city. And like I said, city minus 300 Liverpool plus 300 and Chelsea now a clear outsider in the race at 11 to one. I still think, you know, you're getting it maybe at a tough spot in terms of buying low. Like this is a not a spot where I like you wouldn't call this a sell high spot on Chelsea. This is definitely a spot where people probably would want to buy low because they've been struggling. But I still think close to five to one to go against them is too tempting with the way that they're trending right now. And the fact that their lineup could look uh, a little decimated. So uh, give me Aston Villa here at home. I'll just keep going with Steven Gerrard for, for the time being. Anthony, what do you have for this one? Yeah, you know, Chelsea's got Liverpool at home coming up. We'll see what the line ends up being for that game. Um, that might be the time to buy low on the Blues, uh, especially with Liverpool heading towards the no Salamane era for a few matches. Not sure that one will be impacted. We'll get there when we get there. But as far as this match goes, uh, Thomas Tuchel hinted today that they may get some of their guys back in training. 
in his post-match interview after their uh, thrilling 2-0 victory against Brentford that featured a ton of backups, an own goal, and a penalty. But as of right now, Lukaku, Werner, Havertz, Callum Hudson-Odoi, all out. With COVID right now, uh, going to be very hard to back Chelsea at this number, given that situation. The number in this game, when Chelsea played at Wolves on Sunday, with pretty much all those guys also out, was it close around minus 125. Yet they're minus 150 here against what I think is a better team in Aston Villa, who is in clearly better form uh, and who is showing to offer more going forward than Wolves have recently. Uh, My numbers show value on Villa. I will have a full write-up on this game that will be up on the website probably Friday uh, or Saturday, depending on how that goes with Christmas. So you be sure to read that full write-up, but I'm going to be waiting for more information here. I'm definitely going to be end up, um, you know, leaning towards Villa and probably end up playing them, but uh, I need some more information. All right, we'll uh, move on to Norwich City. Uh, they're plus 650 hosting BJ's Arsenal, Red Hot Arsenal, talk of the town. They're minus 240. The draws plus 390. A couple of weeks ago, BJ said he was out, out, out. Give me a new manager. I'm done with Mikel Arteta. Uh, and usually that is when Arsenal fans do that, there should be a flare sent up in the betting universe to start betting on Arsenal because uh, as soon as uh, everyone gives up on them, I guess in like they said in the Godfather, thought I was out. They pull you back in. Arsenal, fourth place in the Premier League, baby. Fourth place, 32 points, four points ahead of West Ham, Manchester United, 27, Spurs, 26, and Wolves, they're 25. Uh, a lot of games in hand there. Yeah, but still, them. I mean, you got to, you just got to. Oh. You got don't let the don't let facts get in the way of a good story yeah. here, Anthony. Let's let's yeah, let's rein it in. I, I mean, <laughs> there's no way I'm laying uh, anything with this Arsenal team. I still don't trust them. Uh, but I will turn it over to you, uh, BJ. And what do you think in this match from your Gunners? Well, the Arteta Revolution is back on, baby. <laughs> I mean, we're we're fully back in. I mean, I never left. You know, maybe I wobbled a little bit. You know, I'm the type of fan that you know I'm hard on my managers. You know, I. When they don't perform the way I want them to, I want them gone. I want them fired. You know, that's just to motivate them. And what I did is I motivated Mikel Arteta. And this Arsenal team, you know, granted, they didn't play, you know, the stiffest of competition. They played a depleted West Ham side, you know, obviously playing leads with basically nobody at the back. But you know what? They took care of business. They did what they were supposed to. And this is another match where they, I hope, at least they will be able to take care of business. Now, every Arsenal fan knows that when things are looking too good and they're playing an inferior opponent, this is when they come in and they just curb stomp all of your hopes and, you know, bring you back into that dark depression of why do I even watch this team? Why do I even root for them? But I'm starting to dream of, uh, you know, the Champions League nights next year. And, you know, our attack looks really, really good right now. I mean, we don't really need Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang anymore. We're probably going to hopefully, you know, get into the striker market. Hopefully not Blahovic. But, I mean, the attack just looks fantastic right now. Gabriel and Ben White are as solid as they come at the back. You know, Norwich has done nothing offensively this year. They've scored five goals from open play. So, from a betting standpoint, is Arsenal overvalued? Absolutely. But at the same time, they're in incredible form. So there's no way I'm going to step in front of them. I've been betting against them too much and losing. So it's not very fun. You know, you want to cheer for your team scoring a goal, but then in the back of your mind, you're like, well, I just lost a ton of money on them winning. So I'm going to stay away from this one. I think it's a great spot for Arsenal. You know, if you want to get crazy, maybe lay the minus two uh, at a good plus number, maybe that. But other than that, I'm staying away and I'm hoping we can grab all three points and take even a bigger lead uh, for fourth place. Man, I, it would be fun to go back and listen to uh, the podcast right after Everton beat them. We should get the clip. Yeah. But yeah, Anthony, yeah. Uh, Whoever's uh, producer Tommy, put that clip in uh, yeah. either right before or right after, whatever makes more sense. 
Anthony, uh, I'll turn it over to you now that BJ's gone off into his Arsenal dreamland and is envisioning them storming the gates for the top four. Uh, tell people out there who looking to place some money on this one where you think uh, the best value is. I hate Arsenal with every bone in my body, uh, but you know I took some flack when I picked them to finish uh, sixth, and I stand by my prediction. Uh, people said I was too high on them, uh, and then when they started with three consecutive losses to begin the year, People were like, oh, how could you say they're going to finish sixth? They're going to finish in the mid table. Uh, look, they look like about the you know sixth best team in the league, maybe seven. Uh, and they played like it uh, the last few weeks. Now, if you go back, remember, Arteta was back in and everybody was in on Arsenal. They went to Anfield. Everybody thought, oh, they're going to keep it close to Liverpool. They lost 4-0. Then they had the United loss and the Everton loss. Everybody was back out on Arteta. The beatings are coming because they have a tricky matchup with Wolves next week. And then they have City, and then they have Tottenham away. So they have some very tough matches coming. But this is not the spot where I'm going to fade them and fade their attack, which, as BJ said, has been significantly improved since Martinelli has been inserted into the lineup. And since Lacazette, who seems to have a little more juice, has replaced Aubameyang, who looks cooked. Uh, so Saka's playing better. Martinelli has put more shots into this team, and Lacazette is bringing some life. So, yes, Arsenal's attack clearly trending up. I understand it was West Ham and Leeds in a very favorable spot, but 2.7 and 3.2 expected goals, still a very impressive output. I think they can do a lot against this Norwich defense, which is pretty suboptimal, generally speaking. But I do think their defense, Arsenal's that is, is a bit overinflated. They've had some pretty solid performances against Southampton and West Ham, but they've also been running hot in terms of Aaron Ramsdale bailing them out a bunch. Uh, they're still apt to the occasional mistake at the back. And I think Norwich, who has only scored one goal from its last six expected goals uh, in the recent running, uh, has a ton of attacking regression coming. And as bad as they are in terms of the attack, they're not that bad, uh, as the market says here. So at home, I do think they get on the board. We've seen them just recently against Manchester United, probably should have got a goal in that game. So they've been able to show that they can compete at home with some of the bigger teams and really uh, create some chances, which I think they will do in this game. So I took Norwich team total over one half a goal, just one goal, one fluke, one moment, minus 110. Already put that in the app and already put that bet in. Aaron Ramsdale is the best goalkeeper in the world. I just want to get that in before we move on. He's uh, certainly be good. At, uh, you know, all He's of our Let's signings, check back in a couple worth months. Worth every penny. Worth every all, penny. All of our Teta signings. Have Genius. Kind of worked, yeah, they've kind of worked out from Ben White. He was heavily scrutinized. Clowns didn't like Ben White. Ben White's amazing. Yeah, he's a great. I wanted Spurs to sign Ben White. Great player. Very handsome. Play for Brighton. I mean, he's got to yeah, be one of the best players yeah, in the world if he played for Brighton. I'll take every player from Brighton. Speaking of Brighton, minus 105, uh, hosting another Brighton. That's Brentford. They're plus 310. The draw is sitting at plus 245. Another 1230 p.m. kickoff on Sunday. I mean, this is just a perfect draw match, man. Come on. You're talking about <laughs> <laughs> this is thing just screams draw. You're going to absolutely hate yourself if you do bet it, but that's where I'm going. Two really good cohesive defensive units taking on two offenses that shouldn't really scare good defensive teams. And then, yeah, the Brentford defense has dipped a little bit, but they're still solid. And this Brighton offense is just not creating chances on the same level that they did last year. And they're, uh, they just don't scare me in terms of their finishing either. I think this is going to be hilarious because uh, you could call Graham Potter and Thomas Frank, two of, you know, soccer hipsters or, 
analytics nerds, XG nerds, whatever. These are two of their favorite managers, two of their favorite teams. And I think people's expectations will be pretty high. I think a lot of people will tweet, oh, I'm really excited to watch Brentford and Brighton. And guess what? Nil, nil, baby. Uh, Give me the draw plus 245, low total, two good defenses, all the ingredients to lose a draw bet for me. Uh, So that's where I'm going for this one. BJ. Yeah, I'm kind of going a similar vein. I like both teams to score no at minus 115. If we go back to when these two teams met back in early September, it was a very cagey match. Brighton, uh, Leander Troussard ended up, you know, scoring from outside the box, which ended up being the difference. But there was only a total of 0.9 expected goals created, only 11 total shots, and only 34 touches in the penalty area from both teams. Now, the question is, is, you know, have both these teams changed significantly since that point? I would say not really. You know, they're both still very well-organized defensive teams. You know, Brighton especially is still struggling to create chances. Brentford's deep offense has also taken a little bit of a dip. You know, Brighton's only averaging 1.01 non-penalty expected goals per match, and they're 15th in big scoring chances, which is not good, considering that's how you beat Brentford's defense, because Brentford is sixth in non-penalty expected goals and sixth in shots per 90, but they're one of the worst teams in preventing high-quality chances. Uh, So I don't really, you know, see how, you know, Brighton's going to create a lot of, you know, anything of high quality against Brentford's defense. Obviously they're getting Neil Mappé back from COVID, but Basuma is out due to suspension. He's very crucial to them in the midfield and they're pressing, even though, you know, especially against a Brentford team, that's not very good versus the press Brentford offensively. They are big chance or bust. And that's pretty much it. They're 15th in shots per 90, but sixth in big scoring chances. Brighton is an elite defensive team, especially at preventing big scoring chances. They're about the third fewest this season. I understand that Brighton's going to be without, you know, two of their starting center backs, Lewis Dunk and Shane Duffy, but they look pretty good defensively against Wolves when both those guys were out. So it doesn't really worry me that much. I have the both teams scored no line projected around minus 140. So I like the value uh, at minus 110. You know, everything in me wants to bet goals here uh, because of, of what we've seen from these two teams recently. I mean, the last nine matches for both teams, Brentford 1.24, expected goals per 90, Brighton 1.22, not, you know, big time numbers, but in terms of their actual production, both teams are below a goal per 90 in the last nine matches. So we're dealing with two teams who have created more than they've actually uh, gotten their money's worth in terms of goals. Uh, and defensively, Brentford has been a bit lucky. They've been a bit fortunate in, term, in terms of the chances allowed recently. So I want to do it, but I can't. Uh, I really can't. Uh, and I'm tired of doing these over twos and both teams to scores in these games that, like BJ said, the first time these two teams met, their tactics canceled each other out quite a bit. There was very few shots, very few chances. Uh, and then Brighton stole it late. And they've had a lot of late goals. It's been beautiful. Beautiful because they deserve all of the late goals. They deserve one late goal every match for what they went through last year. Uh, but I'm going to probably pass here. I may end up playing it if, if the line keeps getting lower, but in the total, that is. Uh, but not really a ton of interest. And as soon as they put this match on the calendar, I know Michael had draw ready to go back in September. So uh, he he was lining that one up. You mean what Brighton put us through last year? That's yeah, true. The, the, uh, yeah, I am tempted to play that. Brighton because I actually do have a little bit of value. On them, Speaking of that, I was uh, I was very small on, on Twitter uh, of the run Brighton went on last year in February. Uh, there are three matches. I'm just going to read them off really quick, and you can cut. They this beat Liverpool, right? Uh, no, it's when they played. So when they played Aston Villa, drew them zero zero. One unexpected mm-hmm. goals, two point six to point one. They I lost had, to Crystal Palace. Yep, they lost to Crystal Palace at home, two to one. 
They won on expected goals 2.1 to 0.2. We all had Brighton in that game. They, yep. And then they lost to West Brom on the road and won on expected goals 3.1 to 1.1. Remember that game? So, that was the game when they scored yep. the goal, but the ref whistled it off. Yep. And then they had a penalty <laughs> at the very end and they missed it. Or Danny Welbeck hit the post, I'm pretty sure. And then he missed a comebacker. Yeah, that's a wonderful trip down memory lane that, uh, you know, we didn't re- need to revisit. But, you know, we'll always have maybe new to the podcast against... and wonders why we why we keep talking about Brighton as this XG God team. Like, that's why. They also had those wins against Liverpool and Spurs, though. We'll always have. And right. they beat City at the end of the year, too. So, right. They've, they've had their moments. A team that has not had many moments. In fact, they've had some really despicable ones uh, this season. That's Newcastle United, 6-1. to one. At home, hosting Manchester United, minus 205. The draws plus 350. This is a 3 p.m. kickoff Monday, Monday night football. Uh, that's December 27th, two days after Santa comes. Manchester United, they haven't played since uh, December 11th. So what do we know about what they're going to look like under Ralph Ragnick? I think one thing I have picked up on, and, and I, I saw this kind of being discussed a little bit on Twitter too, was it seems like uh, they're going to be a much, much more talented version of Southampton. You know, this is the style of, Soccer that Ralph Ragnick wants to play is, looks pretty similar to what Ralph Hausenhudel has done with uh, the Saints. It's just Ralph Ragnick's got players like Bruno Fernandez and Cristiano Ronaldo and Janet Sancho to play where as uh, Southampton's looking to do that with Ryan Bertrand and Theo Walcott. I don't think that there's any shame in squaring out here on Manchester United to win by multiple goals. I think if this is the only game, all eyes are going to be on it. I think Newcastle is horrible. I like betting against them for a lot of different reasons. Their defense has been terrible all season. And yes, I know Eddie Howe has seen started to like get them to play a little bit better, but I don't trust him to organize a team solidly on defense, especially against a team that can score like Manchester United should be able to. So I like United minus one and a half plus 135. Yeah, it's square, but you know, I want to play this game. It's the only game on Monday afternoon. So give me Ralph Ragnick's Red Devils. Minus one and a half, plus 135. BJ, a uh, little bit of disagreement here, huh? You're going to do it. N- not necessarily, no. Uh, I, I just, I do have some projected value on Newcastle. I mean, purely if we're, if we're using all, you know, we only have two matches under Ragnick. So we don't have a lot of data on, you know, how much better United is than they were under Ole. But if we're taking all the numbers from when they had Ole at the wheel, I mean, purely from a number standpoint, Manchester United is overvalued. Now, they are getting healthy. Looks like Rafael Verani will be back, which is huge for their defense. I don't think I can do it with Newcastle right now, uh, just especially how bad their defense has been. Second worst in the Premier League behind Watford. United's pressing numbers are up under Rangnick. They're also more successful. Newcastle is horrific versus teams that press them. I'm going to stay away, and it's one of those situations where I want to wait and see what United is going to look like under Ragnick. Obviously, they've had a ton of matches postponed, so we haven't really gotten to see much of them under Ragnick. So it's a wait-and-see kind of moment, but at some point, we got to play numbers. Alan St. Maximum will be back for Newcastle. If Newcastle gets to plus one and a half, and I can get them at a decent price, you know, like a minus 110 or maybe a little better, I might have to end up playing that, but I'll probably pass. But, you know, brutal stretch of a schedule for Newcastle. I'm going to play Liverpool, Man City, and then Manchester United in the span of, you know, pretty much a week. So it's a pass for me unless I can get Newcastle plus one and a half at a decent number. Newcastle covered the six and a half that we set last week Yeah, uh, against yeah. Liverpool there and City, go. and we lost by six. Uh, the John Joe Shelby banger, saving them from a, 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 a terrible defeat. Against uh, Man City. Probably should have a penalty in both matches, honestly. Good but uh, yeah, I, I can't play Newcastle here. They've actually been worse second half of the season so far. Minus 1.4 XG per 90 second, uh, you know, last 10 matches. First, uh, first eight 
They were about minus 0.7 per 90. So they're getting worse, not better. A lot of that has come because their attack has kind of fallen off a little bit, not getting the production they were getting early from Wilson and, and uh, Joe Linton and St. Maximin. They don't have the ball winners. They rely on a lot of long range chances from John Joe Shelby to try to score goals. Uh, United probably would look toward the under here. I've been talking about this with Ragnick going to probably end up going back to more of a solid defense, but an attack that relies a lot on overperforming XG instead of creating a lot of high quality chances. And that's what United's future probably is in the short term, but I don't really want to back and under here against this Newcastle defense. So I'm staying away. This game should be on Sunday. If it were on Sunday, I'd be more inclined to bet it, but every game should be on boxing day. That's my belief. And out of protest, I will be passing on Monday night. Uh, we'll see if you can have the self-control to do that when it's the only match in town. All right, uh, let's move on to the underdogs, our favorite underdogs for Boxing Day plus Monday. Once again, as always, I will tell you that these bets are not for the fan of heart. They are underdogs for a reason. A couple big ones in here this week. I'll start. I'm going to go against Chelsea again. I think the number is good enough on Aston Villa plus 475. This is a Chelsea team that is dealing with some lineup issues. They're dealing with a downtick in form, and they're going to take on a defense that has looked much improved under Steven Gerrard. So it's not a given that Chelsea, with all their attacking talent, if they are healthy, will get on the board. And I like Villa's ability to counter here. So plus 475 at home, I think, is a terrific number on Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa. So give me the villains to kick this one off. BJ, who's your favorite pooch? I like Crystal Palace, plus 380 on the road against Tottenham. I understand that Tottenham's looked fantastic under Antonio Conte, creating 10.3 expected goals in his five matches, but not really uh, a murderer's row in terms of competition, uh, facing injury-riddled Everton, Brentford, Norwich, Leeds, and then Liverpool without all of their main defenders. This is a really, really good Crystal Palace defense that's getting one of their best center backs back in Joachim Anderson. When him and Mark G play alongside each other, they only allow 1.03 expected goals per match. So really good defense. They press at a high rate. Tottenham was very susceptible to uh, losing the ball in the middle of the field against Liverpool, even though they did put up 3.4 expected goals. Crystal Palace presses at the second highest rate. So I like the Eagles on the road at plus 380. I think I'm, I'm projected around plus 310. So I think there's some value on Patrick Vieira's men to grab all three points. Fun fact uh, about Crystal Palace, when I was eight, my family almost moved to Surrey, England, and the people that were trying to get my dad to take a job over there took us to see Crystal Palace. Uh, They played Coventry City. Anthony, your favorite underdog. Oh, when the Saints go marching in, Southampton plus 330. West Ham has some attacking regression coming, 28 goals from 22 expected this year. They've been a below average Premier League team the last six, seven matches. They have not been able to keep up the form with the injuries to the defense and some of the uh, lack of game control that they've had in the last you know month and a half, two months, uh, and some troubling signs for the Irons across the board looking to play against them. Don't look at all like the top five, 16 that they looked like early in the season when they were upsetting Liverpool. They've had some okay performances, but they've also recently gotten pummeled uh, by Arsenal and then looked very shaky at Burnley. Meanwhile, Southampton looks like they're going to have Fraser Foster back in goal. He's serviceable enough for me to trust their defense. Uh, as long as he's good to go, I like this here. No more Willie Caballero. Southampton plus 0.06 XGD per 90. So that's about average. They're an average team, and that's what they've been the last two months. But they've been unlucky in terms of their defense. And despite the amount of big scoring chances they allow, I do think they're they're going to have some improvement in the defensive end in terms of getting up goals. So I think they have a good shot to pull off this upset on the road Sunday. If you are looking for a Christmas miracle and you want to wrap all three of those teams together, 118 to one, uh, it would pay out at the current prices. Be a good way to make uh, the money spent on 
holiday presents back pretty yeah, quickly. Merry eh? Christmas. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's move on to the final part of this episode. Our favorite bets for Boxing Day plus Monday. Anthony, I'll let you kick it off. Well, I just talked about why I like Southampton on the money line. I really like them plus a half at even money. I'm doubling up again on the money line and favorite bet of the week. Southampton defensively has allowed way more goals of late than they should have given the amount of chances allowed. Some of that comes down to Willie Caballero in goal, but he's not going to be in goal anymore. Uh, They've been a little bit shaky in terms of allowing a lot of big scoring chances, which is always going to be a way that Southampton plays when with the way that they press under Hassan Hoodle, when they get broken through the first or second line, they are very vulnerable defensively. But that being said, West Ham has not had the kind of game control they had early in the season. They're starting to fall off a little bit, looking more like an upper mid-table team as opposed to a team that's truly challenging for European places. I think all of that combines with the fact that West Ham's attack, guys like Mikel Antonio have not been in form of late, not getting the same production they were getting early in the year, and overperforming their expected goals thus far this season might see some regression there. So I think West Ham's a bit overvalued. So I like Southampton plus a half on the road in this game. BJ, what's your favorite bet this week? Yeah, I like uh, Brentford and Brighton. Both teams have scored no at minus 115. The last time these two teams met, it was a very cagey match. You know, Leandro Trossard scored a goal from outside the box in the dying minutes to give Brighton a 1-0 win, but only 0.9 expected goals, 11 total shots, and 34 touches in the penalty area from both teams. I think we're going to have a similar match this time around as well. Brighton's really struggling to create chances offensively. Only 1.01 non-penalty expected goals per match. Brentford is a big chance or bust offense. They are 16th in uh, shots per 90 and 6th in big scoring chances, while Brighton is an elite defensive team, top five in non-penalty expected goals allowed, and third in big scoring chances allowed. Brighton's going to be without Basuma, one of their best midfielders. He is crucial not only to their pressing, but their connecting play from their slow build-up pragmatic style of play. I think we're seeing another very kg type match i don't really see how either team's going to create anything of high quality so i like both teams score no at minus 115 when you think of burnley you think of crosses you think of corners and you think of set pieces and right now when you think of everton you think of their abjectness their terrible ability at defending those kind of things so i like burnley plus 140 at home hosting everton 10 a.m on boxing day Burnley, they haven't scored in their last three matches, and they've only created 1.35 total expected goals, but this is a good buy-low spot on this offense, taking on a defense that is without Yerry Mina, their most important player. And Everton has just been incredibly leaky. 5.3 expected goals in their last two matches. Lucky, I mean, lucky as an understatement to only allow one goal to Chelsea in their last match. So not only is the matchup good for Burnley here, but I think this is a good regression spot for their offense and a really tough spot for an Everton team that will be without Richarlison, Andros Townsend, Damari Gray, among a host of other players going forward. So I don't really understand how this team is going to be able to score enough to make up for their defensive woes. So Burnley plus 140 at home against Everton on Boxing Day is my favorite bet in the Premier League uh, this weekend. And that will wrap up our Boxing Day special of Wondergoal. We will be back on Monday morning to look forward to more midweek matches in the Premier League. And hopefully, like I said at the top of the show, everything that we've gone over is still useful and the lineups are not just a complete mess. So from BJ and Anthony and myself, uh, we wish you guys the merriest of Christmases and we will see you on the other side.